So this week, as you have guessed, we're probably going to continue in our series called Witness. And I say probably because the Holy Spirit, who knows, you know, um, but it's called Witness. And we're in the sixth chapter of Acts. And what we're doing is we're walking through the book of Acts one chapter at a time, one chapter a week, going through and we're discovering what God's intention for the church was. We saw him breathe, literally breathe himself into the early church to become a, a group of people who were filled with the Spirit of God to be able to do the works of God and in and, and, and the communities that they were in and across the world. And what we're called to do as a church now is the same thing as it is then. And so we're looking at the Scripture and we're saying, okay, God, what do you want to show us in these Scriptures? How do you want to guide us in this, in this way? How do you want to move through our church? How do you want to move through our family, through, through me as a man, through me as a woman? Through How do you want us to do this, Lord? And so last week, what we did was we looked at Acts 5, and we looked at a moment of, the ch- of moral failure in the church. It's crazy. I mean, it was nuts. Man. And, the, and what happened was Ananias and Sapphira, they had lied to God about the amount of money that they had, they had given the apostles, that they had brought to the church. And what we did is we contrasted that with, with, with Barnabas, because Barnabas, he was one of the most generous people that we ever see in Scripture. You look at Acts, all throughout, all throughout Acts, you'll see Barnabas was a very, very generous man. And so we can see that in the church, even today, like all of us here, maybe people in this body even, I don't know, um, there, there are either two kinds of people. There are two kinds of people in the church, and it's nearly impossible to distinguish them from the outside. On, on, you know, on the outside, Ananias and Sapphira, they, were, they looked just like Barnabas. They were the same as Barnabas. They, they were active in the church. They were even generous. I said last week they were given that money. That was generous of them to do that. But they were lying to God, and that was the amount that they were giving. They, but deep in their hearts, what happened, there was this love of money and a love of praise from people that had just completely just ravaged their hearts, and they haven't repented of. And so you, we can see the contrast that Barnabas was filled with the Spirit of God and gave his stuff away to bless other people. Well, Ananias and Sapphira were filled with the love of money and the love of praise, and so they lied about their generosity to gain praise from people. And so when I see this, when someone comes to Christ, we shared this last week, the Ezekiel 36, it shows us that God gives us a new heart and a new spirit. And the gospel begins to transform our hearts, transform your heart. And it loosens our grip on our stuff and starts tightening our grip on people around us. One of our value statements here at our church is, that, is people are the mission. And what that looks like is when, people, when the gospel begins to transform your heart, your love of money, success, or things begins to be overshadowed by your love for Jesus. Has anybody ever experienced that? Jesus comes in and begins to change your heart, and the people that God puts in your life, you begin to care about in uncommon ways. And that's where, that's where the, the American church has gotten tripped up a lot of times because what's really important in life begins to come into focus when you have a true relationship with Jesus. Today in Acts 6, we're going to come to the story of Stephen. I'm sure you've heard of Stephen before. If you haven't read this week's witness reading plan, if there's one online, I, oh, not, okay. check it out. Um, ask, your, ask your connect, your leader, go to the next steps table. They will hook you up. Um, but basically, Stephen was the the first Christian martyr. And sometimes I feel like the church has kind of idolized Stephen. But if you look back at Stephen's life, Stephen was just an ordinary, modern, just kind of a just chill guy. He was just a guy in the church. And it, what we're going to look at in Stephen's life, though, is we're going to see the profile of just a common Christian, not like a church leader or an elder or, or even an apostle. or a pre- He was just a guy that went to church. He was a part of the body. He was just there. And so he wasn't, a, he wasn't all these things. He was an average guy. 
But it's because of guys like him that we see the church growing. And that's what's so crazy because this passage shows us the importance of lay ministry and leadership development in the church. At, at Ephesians 4, a few, a few uh, months ago, we talked about in the series of, of Equip that we're called to raise up leaders who are raising up leaders in the church to do the works that God has called us to do. Leaders, raising up leaders, raising up leaders. So we see a leadership factory happening in the church. And this is what we're going to see today. And so let's go, let's start here for some context, you know, uh, just a little bit of background. By, by this point, the church had become a huge movement. Um, the Jerusalem church was around 10,000 people strong at this point. And it, it's, it, it were all in one city. And in Jerusalem, the, the estimated population of this town was around 40,000 people. And so you see 10,000 Christians in a city of 40,000, that's a force to be reckoned with. That, and if, if these people are living like God had called them to live, think about the effectiveness and how much that growth was happening. But from here, we know if we read throughout Acts, if, you're, if you've been in church at all, if you've read the Bible at all, you know it's going to spread around the world. But the question is, why is it growing this fast? Why is this happening? What's happening in this body that makes it grow as fast as it's growing? And you can look today in chapter 6. The answer is going to be found in the life of Stephen. We're going to look at some characteristics in Stephen's life that's going to show you this is why it's growing. You're going to see a lot of similarities in, in Stephen's life with what we encourage, the way we encourage you to live as a, as a member of Connection Church. You know, our cultures of our church, what are they? Evangelism, serving, community, and generosity. You're going to see all these things in Stephen's life. We don't, we don't want these things to, to be something that define, you know, that, that define your life because you think you have to do these things because you're a Christian. Our heart is for, for you to want to do these things and them to be a part of your life out of an overflow of what God's done in your life through the transforming power of the gospel. And this is the motivation that drove Stephen. This is the motivation that had his heart and his spirit and it had been renewed by the Spirit of God. And now his life was no longer his own, but it was God's. And so these cultures aren't things that we do because we're gifted in these areas and we feel called to this area or we feel called to that area. We do these things because it's who we are. We do these things because we love Jesus and we follow Jesus and it's what Jesus did. If you're a follower of Jesus, your commitments to these things are becoming, are becoming increasingly greater. And it's funny that the church grew in Stephen's life as he was practicing these things. And it's funny when the church functions the way Christ set it up to function, it grows. When we're functioning under the authority of God, it grows. And what has to happen is we have to understand that it's not about us. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about being obedient to him and what he's called us to do. And this is one thing you'll notice about Stephen today is he had one principle that he lived by, I think, as I was studying his life, a principle that made him the kind of guy who kept people together, who kept people on the mission, who kept people moving forward. In his life, his motto was, it's not about me. It's not about me. I'll do whatever needs to be done. I'll, I'll take care of that. I'll do this. And today, we're we'll going to start a two-part story of the life of Stephen. We'll, we'll finish up next week because there's, his life's going to cover two parts of Scripture. But before we get started, let's look at some groundwork on how Stephen's story begins. Let's look at uh, chapter 6, verse 1. It says this, In those days when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Let's stop there for a second, because some of you are like, what is a Hellenistic Jew? Can somebody tell? I'm just kidding. I don't know either. I'm kidding. Uh, this literally means Jews who are Greek. Let's just make it simple. They were Greek-speaking Jews. The, the Greek word hellas really means, it's a, it refers to a geographic region in Greece. 
Greece being some, where they're from. They're basically, they were Greek-speaking Jews had come from other nations. Remember we talked about in Acts 2, all these people from other nations. This was probably part of those people, and they probably didn't speak Aramaic. While these Hebraic Jews, these guys who were like natives to the region, they probably looked different. They probably spoke a little different, and their customs and their culture were a little bit different. And so what you're seeing here from verse 1, you're starting to see the enemy trying to weasel his way into the church already. You're starting to see him kind of move in here. And so this is a very dangerous problem in the church, guys, because in verse 1 of chapter 6, we have a racial problem. Do you see that? There's a racial issue happening in the church. They're prioritizing the Hebraic Jews over the Greek-speaking Jews because of their cultural ethnicity. That's wrong. Wrong. There, there, were, there were racial and cultural biases being played out here, and it would do nothing but divide the church unless something happened. And so to be clear, I want to just clarify something real quick for just uh, clarification purposes in this room. Um, racism, whether subconscious or deliberate, will never be tolerated in this church, and it will never stand in the kingdom no matter what form it comes in at all. And I want to tell you, this isn't directed at, a, at someone who's red, black, white, or yellow. As a church, we have to do better about being for racial reconciliation and against this evil that Satan wants to use to divide the church. Ephesians 4 says there's one body, there's one church, there's one spirit, which probably we're called to be one together. And in this church, what we're looking at today, I want to show you in our church as well, we want to make sure that people know, there's no question, that people know that every person, every gift, every soul has value and deserves to be treated with the dignity that was given to every man as an image bearer of God. Hear that today and take that to heart. As we dig into the scripture, I want to show you that we're going to see there's two problems here. On one side, we just saw there was racial tensions in this church. And there was issues that were causing division that, that the apostles had to hit quick. Or there was going to be issues greater than what there were. And then second, we don't see the Hellenistic Jews never. But what happens is they never brought this up to the apostles, the, the leadership. The text says that a complaint arose, which implies that there was some murmuring and maybe some backbiting going on in small groups or other, other places all across Jerusalem, and, and it finally surfaced. And what I want you to see is these people, were made, they, they don't care about us. They don't want us. They don't care about us. They're, 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 what is this? I you know, we have to see this was a huge threat, and you, nothing is used by Satan more effectively than distrust. Nothing is used more than, more than distrust, resentment in the church because he wants to divide, he wants to conquer, he wants to divide the church so it can just be powerless. And if you can look around you today, you can see the church is divided. And it's time for us to come together as a body, brothers and sisters in Christ, not divided by race or culture, not divided by anything, but brought together under the name of Jesus. If you look, this is, the this is Satan's third attempt at attacking the church. In Acts 4, you can see it was the, the government that was persecuting the church. Last week, we saw the enemy try to come inside the church with the, the embezzlement uh, conspiracy with Ananias and Sapphira. This week, we're looking where he attacked it through a spirit of grumbling and backbiting. And this might be the most serious threat and endangerment to churches today. A spirit of grumbling and complaining kills more churches than persecution. And I want to tell you right now, listen, I, I've, we've already had to deal with this in church, in our church already. And I'm telling you right now, if there's issues, come to your leader. 
Don't talk about people behind their back. Don't call this person or text this person. What are they doing? I can't believe this. What happened? That is division and will destroy. Come together and be united. Know each other's hearts are for Jesus. And if they're not, then confront in love and truth. Listen, the church will never be killed from the outside. The church is never going to be destroyed from outside influences. The church is only grows when it's persecuted. Look at Iran, the fastest growing church in the world right now. Iran's blowing up, and they're trying to destroy it. Look at North Korea. A, a, a church dies a slow death whenever the individuals in the body begin to give themselves over to sin, to corruption, to a, to a, to a laziness, beginning to exalting self over Christ, divisions in the church. This is my idea. This is what, why are they doing this to me? You know, we become inward focused instead of upward focused. And it's time that we see unity is the way that we are going to be brought together, being united together under the name of Jesus. You have to understand, you have to understand that if, if this is you, this has ever been you, that when you speak of evil of your brothers or sisters, or when you judge someone else's motives, you're being used by Satan as an instrument of division in the church. Hear that with love and hear that with a, with a motivation to fight against that because it's nothing more than a tactic from the enemy. Let's keep reading. Sorry for the sermon on verse 1. Verse 2. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word, the word of God in, in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Circle that or underline that or something. Who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer into the ministry of the word. Please don't hear this as saying the apostles, this work is beneath us. We need to give this to someone else who is not as cool as we are. Don't hear that. That is not what's being said here. What's the fact that the apostles had to call on a team to do it when the load of widows got larger, what happens, what's applied here is that the apostles were already doing this from the beginning. And there, there had been time that had lapsed from the, whenever Christ had, had risen and ascended. Like they, were, they, were, they were following through with serving the way Jesus had, had told them to serve as followers of him. They were washing feet. They were feeding widows. They were, they were serving the poor. They were loving their enemy. The apostles thought of themselves as servants. Not, they weren't lording their authority over people. The apostles were serving the people. But now what that happened was they realized that the load is too heavy for just them. And this is where you see churches crumble because you see a pastor or you see a leadership team trying to carry the entire weight without raising up leaders in the body to carry some of the weight for the church because we're a body meant to do the work together. We talked about that in a quip. You can go back and listen to it. It's online. Technology, right? <clears throat> and their act of service, let me tell you, their greatest act of service, the apostles' greatest act of service that they could possibly provide for the church was teaching the word accurately and seeking God in prayer on behalf of the church. As the leadership in the church, those two things are three things. The third thing is training up people to do the same thing. Training up people, seeking God in prayer, and teaching the word accurately. Those three things are the most important thing, the important area of service that the apostles could have done for the church. If they would have neglected that, it would have actually been worse for the church. So they, you see, they were not graduating out of service they weren't graduating from serving widows. They were just focusing on the most effective kind of service that they could do. And this means, what this means is someone has to do this other part of church ministry. 
Acts 4, or it's Ephesians 4. We talked about that a minute ago. Chapter, chapter 6, verse 5. Here we go. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, and Pumbaa. I'm just kidding. Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert of Judaism. So fun fact, fun fact here. Most of these names you're reading are Greek. That's awesome. <laughs> Hashtag wisdom, right? Like they included the Hellenistic Jews in leadership. How cool is that? That's wisdom on their part. They brought these guys in, put them in leadership. All right, guys, go. Let's keep reading. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on and prayed and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Okay, rapidly is an important word because you see the church operating under the authority of Jesus, and you see it operating in humility and in operating in its proper form, and it increased rapidly. People were making disciples. People were being leaders. People were saying, hey, I'm a Christian, so they were living it out. There was no more cultural Christianity where you're just saying it on Facebook, not living it out in your real life. There was none of that. Those people were outsiders in the view of God. It's important we understand that. So here's my question. Why this specific mention of the priest here? They, they weren't the only ones getting saved, right? I'm assuming it wasn't just a, a priest ministry. There's a lot more people getting saved in this moment. Uh, you know, I, I have a speculation. If you look in the Old Testament, what were priests supposed to be doing? Who were they supposed to be taking care of? The poor. The priests were supposed to be taking care of the poor, feeding the poor, watching after the poor. And here in this in verse 6 and 7, what you're looking at um, in chapter 6, I mean, you're, you're seeing a whole group of people acting like priests. You're seeing a whole group of people doing what priests did. Like priests had, had persecuted Jesus. They had, they had helped in leading in the crucifixion of Jesus, but now their hearts were changing. How were their hearts changing? By the churches serving the poor. They were seeing the church serve the poor. Their hearts were changing. That's what, and so you see as a body, as we follow Jesus, you're going to start seeing people come to the Lord, not by our awesome worship band or, or, or semi-good preaching, but you're going to hear people coming to Jesus by how you treat people in your daily life, by how you walk it out. So as we go into Acts 6, we're going to see Stephen, what's he described as? He's described as a, a man full of God's grace and power. And it says he performed great signs and wonders and miracles. So... Just like Jesus, as we go throughout these verses, the rest of these verses in chapter 6, Stephen was brought before the leaders. He was questioned. False witnesses were brought up to him and, and brought against him. And then next week, we're going to look in chapter 7, the aftermath of all the stuff. But I think there's some, some very important lessons we need to glean from chapter 5 today before we leave that I want to focus on. The first one, I beg you to open your ears and hear this, and I, I pray that God would just convict me in this as well. But number one is the mark of true faith in Christ is service. The mark of true faith in Christ is service. And so someone who follows Jesus, and I'm assuming there's a large number of people who claim Jesus in here this morning. So there's probably very few people who would say, I don't believe in him. There may be. Um, but if you someone who follows Jesus, they are always a servant first before anything else. Before they're an elder, they're a servant. Before they're a deacon, they're a servant. Before they're a pastor, they're a servant. My job is servant before it's pastor. My job is servant before it's anything. I'm supposed to serve my family. 
I'm supposed to serve my church. I'm supposed to serve my neighbor. I'm supposed to serve people. If you look at Matthew 20, we can look at this. Matthew chapter 20, real quick. It'll be on the screen. Let's see if Thomas can keep up. So it says this, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise, backtrack, exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. I'm going to turn there. I, I didn't think you could do it. All right, Matthew 20, 25 to 28. It says this. Uh, let's go to 26. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your servant. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? To serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Are we giving our life for a ransom for many? Are we giving our life to people to see Jesus come alive in their life? Is the goal of your life to see Jesus live down in other people? Or is it to see your bank account raised? Or is it to see your retirement fund raised? Or is it to see your children taken care of? It should be to see the glory of God come alive in your life and everything else will come together. Because if you don't serve, let me tell you this, if you don't serve because it doesn't fit your plans or because it's, it gets in the way of what you want to do, then you have not understand what God has done through the gospel and you definitely haven't grasped the concept of Matthew 20. The, the modern church has made serving this trophy that we hang around our necks of our lives as so that people can see that we're spiritual. That's wrong. The serving is who we are. I'm not serving to help Stacy out or Lindsay out or Michael out or whoever's leading worship these days out. Listen, I'm serving to serve God. I'm serving to love him. I'm serving out of response to what he's done in my life. I'm serving because he loves me. And listen, churches should not have to beg their people to serve. Let me say that again. Churches, not just this one, any church should not have to beg people to serve. There should not have to be emails or Facebook messages or text messages sent out. We should have to turn people away from serving because they want to serve their God so much. That's how the church in Acts looks as we look in Acts 6 here. You look, someone who has been broken before their sin, and they see their sin before God. And they're broken in that sin. They've seen the goodness of God in their sacrifice, in his sacrifice for that sin. What they do is they come humbly before God and say, God, whatever you want, whatever you need, I'm your vessel. God, I am dead to myself and I'm alive to you. Come in my life and change me. Move in my life. Whatever you need, I'm there. That's the heart of a believer. That's the heart of someone who, who loves Jesus. That's the heart of someone who has come to the end of themselves and it's past time the church starts meeting needs in front of them and stops putting conditions on God. It's past that time. Listen, the irony here, look in Acts 6, the irony, Stephen, the first martyr, we look at him as the first martyr. Man, Stephen's awesome. He's got stone, all this stuff, whatever, next week. But he's introduced as a servant. He's introduced to us as a servant. His service, it wasn't glorious. He wasn't in the throne serving the king. He was waiting Tables for widows. Can you put yourself in that place for a minute? Like he was waiting tables for elderly ladies. That's awesome. But in our society, that's not looked at as awesome. If you don't believe me, go to any nursing home. There's a, that's the loneliest place on earth. Listen, he was serving. He was serving. But let me tell you what happened. 
But what we see in Stephen's life, the Spirit had obviously made him a, a very capable leader. He was serving, loving. He made him a gifted the theologian because what it says in verse 10, it says they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit had gave him to speak. So this guy was a servant. He was, he was serving widows. He stands before the religious leaders of his day, and they, he, they start hammering him, and he's like speaking wisdom. And the, and the guys were like, uh, 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 they can't speak against him because God was giving them wisdom that nobody understood. But when you ask Stephen, but when Stephen was asked to serve by the apostles, what did he say? He didn't say, you know what? I'm going to need something a little more along the lines of my giftings. You know, I'm kind of gifted. I'm on the gifted program. I'm, I'm a prophet. You know, I'm, I can speak in church. I need, to, I need to preach. You know, I need to do this. Or I need to do that. No, he didn't say that. He said, it's not about me. I'll serve the body however is needed. I, I'm here to serve. I'm in. I, you don't need my gifts. You just need my hands. Here, I'll do whatever you want. Here, use me. We have, another value statement we have is that saved people serve people. We live by that. We believe someone who's saved in this body is going to naturally be a servant. Number two, the second thing we look at, the word of God is central to fulfilling the purposes of God. You look here, you look here where the apostle says it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait tables. The word of God is central to fulfilling the purposes of God. If you claim that you have a relationship with Jesus in this place, if I'm claiming that I have a relationship with Jesus in this place, and we're not committed to reading this, to memorizing this, yeah, I said that, memorizing scripture, reading a verse over and over and over again until it's in your mind and your heart, applying this word, Lord, you said this here? Okay, so that means I need to change this about my life because my life's not living, like, I'm not living my life like this, so I need to change, Lord. Thank you for that conviction, Father. I humbly come before you, ask your forgiveness. Thank you for, for giving me that revelation. Now let me walk in obedience, Lord. Please give me the strength. That's the prayer as you, pre as you, as you read the word. But most of the time, the problem with the church is we, we pick it up, we read our scripture for the day, and then we put it down acting like it didn't say anything, Right? But as we read the scripture, guys, we're called to apply it, to memorize it, and to read it. And if we're not doing that, then something is very wrong with your relationship with Jesus. And I'm telling you right now that you're in some very spiritually dangerous territory if you're not consuming the word of God. We've talked about that before in here. We can go on that in another sermon series. But, but our culture, what happens in our current culture in America is try to turn our hearts away from the power of the word. It's tried to turn our hearts away from those things, and it's tried to fill our churches and our sermons full of these seeker-friendly sermons that, are, that, are, that don't speak the hard topics like sin or repentance or, or hell, of, of all things. And the Bible, in its entirety, though, this entire Bible must be preached, must be talked about between friends and, and family. It has to be shared with our neighbors. Every person claiming to know Jesus should talk about this word. How many wasted conversations do we have in a day? How much needless things do we talk about and this never comes up? And when it does, it's in a joking manner because we're not confident. Listen, we need to be well, well, well in line with this because it's our lifeline and it's what God uses most to speak to his people. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says, man shall not live on bread alone, but what? on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's our heart for you, that you would see that. 
And you look in Acts 6 again for the apostles to have filled their schedules with any other task, even something good like, like taking care of widows, what it would have done is it would have been a disservice to the church because the church's greatest need was what? Prayer and the word. The church's greatest need was prayer and the word. And next week, we're going to see Stephen preach the longest sermon ever recorded in Acts. And one of the cool thoughts on this is where did he get all the knowledge about the word? Where did it come from? From hearing the apostles preach. The apostles were teaching. They were teaching, 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 teaching. So Stephen prioritized the word by freeing up the apostles so that they can teach it. So he was saying, hey, I'll do this. Y'all focus on that. I got this. There was no hierarchy of service. They were serving because they loved Jesus. But he also, what he was doing, he was also prioritizing the word of God by learning it. And so we have to be in a place where we're learning scripture. It's so important. So here's my question for you. How many Bibles do you have in your house? A lot. I probably have 15. But are we devoting ourselves to the word? Are we devoting ourselves to learning it? Would you be ready to preach a sermon if I said, hey, can you preach this week? Would you be ready? Have you, have you looked in scripture? Has God been moving in your heart enough to know? This is what God's been on my heart. Yeah, I'll preach. I, got, I know exactly what I'm gonna preach about. Here we go. Let's do it. Listen, Stephen wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a preacher. The Holy Spirit gifted him to preach when he needed it. Thought about that in Acts 1 and 2. He was a layman. He was a member of the church. And it's not enough for me to come up here and prioritize teaching this Bible. You have to prioritize learning it and reading it and talking about it. Guys, we give you so many tools. We give you a lot of tools. The 412 reading plan, connect groups, discipleship. We wrote a, we wrote a discipleship guide for you to use in discipleship and learning how to disciple others. But just like Stephen, you're going to be called on one day to give an answer in places where your group leader or I'm not going to be at. And you have to be faithful enough in your mind and in your heart to be ready, to be filled with Scripture, to give an account. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, be ready in season and an out of season. Knowing Scripture, being able to follow that as the Lord leads. The Holy Spirit can bring things to our minds as we're leading, as we're, as, from bring things from our memory as we're talking but only things that you've already committed to memory. He can't fire the bullets that you haven't stopped in your arsenal. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorites, guys, you can read this. His stuff is amazing. He was brought to Christ by a shoemaker. A shoemaker. He made shoes for a living. He, he was led to Christ by a shoemaker. Can I say that one more time? A shoemaker, come on, Listen. He was, how long, my gosh, he was asked to preach a sermon for the pastor who was out sick. This guy said, you know what? I don't know if I can, but I'm gonna do my best. He got out there and preached a sermon. Charles Spurgeon got saved. Now how many people have gotten saved because of Charles Spurgeon's ministry? Do you see what I'm saying, how this works? That's the heart. It's not about Charles Spurgeon. I just use his name because you know his name probably, or now you do. It's about being faithful. And my question is how long are we gonna wear the badge if I don't know enough? as a badge of honor or a get-out-of-jail-free card until we realize this is a stronghold from hell meant to hold us back from being the person that God has meant for us to be in knowing Scripture and carrying it out. The last thing, the last thing, God does His greatest work through ordinary people. 
God does his greatest work through ordinary people. If you're an ordinary person, can you raise your hand this morning? Okay. God does his greatest work through you. He does his greatest work through you. If you don't believe me, go read, go read about Abraham or Moses or David or Solomon or Elijah or Paul or Billy Graham or Martin Luther or Charles Spurgeon. You know, it won't take you long to realize that these guys, these giants of your faith weren't so giant. They had issues, problems, sin in their life, all kind of stuff. They were just broken before God and committed to following him. And the greatest miracles are, are supposed to be done through you, the layman of the church, not a pastor, not, not your connector leader. Verse 8 of, of, chapter, of chapter 6 says, Now Stephen, a, a man full of God's grace and power, he performed great wonders and signs among the people. Guys, the Saul's in your community, the Saul's and the Paul's of your community probably are not going to be converted by coming to hear a sermon. They're probably going to be converted by the gospel that you share with them. God uses ordinary people who live ordinary lives to do his work. But the cool part is those ordinary people he uses are filled with an extraordinary God. But God cannot use ordinary people until those ordinary people quit trying to be God of their lives. It's not until we come to the end of ourselves that we start seeing the book of Acts come alive in this place. And what will it take for us to die to ourselves and to come alive in Christ to see this community reached and the nations reached for the gospel. Listen, some of us in this room have been self-deceived in thinking that because we've spent our entire life in church going on mission trips, that we're there. We've made it. I'm a Christian. Hallelujah. I got this badge of honor. Come talk to me. I know everything. No, that, listen, the fruit of your life may tell a different story. We're supposed to evaluate ourselves, to live in community, to be held accountable. And what religion has taught us is we do these things, what we do in these scenarios where we're steeped in religion, we change the definition of fruit. Or we, 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 we move the goalposts where we look okay, or we ignore conviction, or we, or we look to another more agreeable commentary to make ourselves look right. Listen, if you're looking for application from this sermon, realize who you are because of what Christ has done and walk in that freedom. Not lording it over anyone, but serving your brother and sister, loving them, giving yourself for them, laying your life down for them. Get in the game. Go sign up to serve. Get involved. Don't just attend church. Be the church. Love the church. Serve give, invite people, worship, engage with one another. Right now, our church is at about 50% capacity of our, of our congregation serving in different areas. 50% of our, 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 our congregation serves in these areas. In our kids' area right now, they're, they're sitting back there right now in those rooms. There's four rooms. Right now, there's kids back there sitting there. And what those kids are, what they mean is there's going to be the future community leaders the future daughters and lawyers, the future shopkeepers, the, the future uh, church planners or missionaries or pastors or church. What are, those people, those children are sitting by there right now who are going to have husbands and wives. Little boys needing to be taught how to be men of God. Little girls needing to be taught how to be women of God. But unfortunately, right now, one of the statistics that I've heard this week that broke my heart, someone said this to me and I cried, man, I'm telling you, our boys... Our little boys in the back right now think that following Jesus is a girl thing. That's a true story. Because all they see in the back are women serving, teaching, and leading them in worship. 
Right now, currently, out of the 65 to 70 people that we have serving in Connection Kids, only four of them are men. Four. If you want me to do some quick math, that's 6% of the people signed up to serve, not including the people who aren't serving. 6% are men. Listen, we have seen a couple of men step up in the last few weeks saying, hey, I'll do whatever it takes, guys. You know, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. We've seen one or two do that. I'm, I'm proud of those guys stepping up because they saw a need. It's, they're uncomfortable, but they're, I'm going to do it because we need it. Those little boys need because those little boys don't want to participate in worship because it looks like a girl thing and it's not cool. One of the little boys said, if the game's not cool this week, I'm not playing. We need men to go in there and act like fools before our boys and show them how to have fun in the Lord. Listen, we need men to show these boys how to be the next generation of church leaders because if we don't, the world outside is going to show them how not to be. Scripturally, men are meant to be the leaders in the church. Are you pastoring our children well, men? Are you pastoring them well or are you ignoring them because kids aren't in your thing? You know? It's just not my thing. I'm just gonna, I don't, I, I'll do this, but not that. Are we putting limits? Guys, this goes deeper. How are you leading your family at home? Are you leading them well? What legacy are you leaving? And I want to tell you this as I close. This was meant to challenge today. Stephen's life challenges us to step up to the plate. Because Jesus left a legacy for us to serve others and give our lives as a ransom for many. That means I'm denying myself. That means I... I might hate serving in kids. I might hate serving my family sometimes because I just want to take a nap. That means I might hate serving the front door. I might hate serving people on a mission trip. But you know what? I'm dead. A dead man don't have preferences. A dead man just honored. I'm filled with the Spirit, so I'm being moved by His Spirit, not my own anymore. And so my challenge for you this morning is for you to get it right with the Lord where he wants you to do and move in that direction and, and lay some things down on this altar. If you don't know Christ this morning, if you've never been in a place where you've been, a gospel has been declared to you, Jesus came and died in your place so that you can live in his. Listen, you are, we're sinful. We need a savior. Jesus came and paid that price for us so that you didn't have to. And he rose again and he ascended into heaven where we get to go meet him again one day when we die. My heart this morning is if you've never made that decision in your life and you feel like that's your next step, come find one of us and let us pray with you. We're going to do one more song of worship. If you need to come to the altar, come to the altar. If you need to speak to one of our prayer team members, do that. I'll be here as well. So we love you, and I just pray, God, that you would just hear that this morning. So let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and what you've done in this body. God, we thank you for what you're going to do. We thank you for the vision that you've given our church, God, and where you're taking us. God, I pray that you would just infect every heart in this room with the same passion to follow you, to see your kingdom come and your will be done in this community and around the world. God, move in our hearts right now, Father, as we come before you in worship and in praise. We love you. And it's your name I pray. Amen.